I'm not listening to you, Brandon. <laughs> I'm not even looking down there today. You're a bad influence on me. Good morning. Good morning. To everybody except for Brandon. Um, <laughs> that's not true. Good morning to you too, B Riz. We're good. All right. Uh, looks like my name is Chris. If you don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here, and we're, we're just uh, really grateful that you decided to spend your Sunday with us. If you're watching on home, we want to welcome you, too. We want you to be involved, so, you know, comment, like, share, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, we are uh, kind of in the tail end of a series on the Book of Ruth, and um, today I want to start with kind of maybe a, a little confession. Um, I do confessions quite a bit up here, but when I was younger... When I was younger, I, I probably had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. I went through some, some tough stuff. I mean, I never grew up being, like, really affluent and cool and popular and all that kind of stuff. But in my 20s, you know, um, there was just kind of, like, catastrophe after catastrophe after catastrophe. I don't know if you guys ever been to a spot like that in your life or not. But um, it's, just like, it's just like, you know, one step forward, two steps back kind of thing in my life. And and I had this chip on my shoulder, and I started looking around, and I remember the, these feelings like they were yesterday. I started looking around and thinking how much better everybody else's life was than mine. You ever been in a spot like that when you're just going through the darkest of dark times? Or, or maybe it's even not that dark. It just is hard. I mean, life is hard, or you think something you know, should be the way it is, but it's not. And you look around. You ever see somebody else, and you're like, I want that life. I want a life like that. I want what they have. I want that. I want, I see it. I want it. I want their friends because their friends look really cool and I just have like one and we rarely ever see each other anymore. Or I want their career because man, my job just stinks and I go in every day and I hate it. And they always look so happy when they post their pictures up. And this is a big one for me. I used to look around all the time at other churches and other pastors and think I would love to have that ministry. And I would get really all up in myself thinking how much better it must be to have a church like that or have a church that has this many people in it. And that's not true, by the way. I love the fact that we can have a small, intimate church and I can know everybody by name. And Because um, I've always said it's not about how many people are in the seats, but about how many hearts are transformed into seats. And so that's what we're always about. But you might look around and say, I want those families, right? I want that family. Their family, I mean, they're so photogenic. And this is coming from the least photogenic family on the face of the earth, right? We take, we take 100 pictures just to get one, and even then we're not real happy with it. Uh, I would like to have, now here's one. We don't think about this often, but maybe it's not something physical. Maybe it's not something tangible, but you're just like, I would like to have their mindset. I would like to have a brain that just works like, you know, some people just like water rolling off a duck's back. Nothing seems to phase them. They always seem cool. They always seem happy. They always seem good. Maybe, maybe that's what it is, but here's kind of the challenge there, right? When we start looking around and we, we start, you know, um, saying, I want that, I want that. The problem is that we only see the current chapter of that person's life. We only see what is here and now. And that's not even so much as, as, as I mean, it's kind of hard nowadays because, you know, if you know somebody in real life, that's one thing. You can pretty much know that what they're doing is real. But if you're starting to compare your life to what's on social media, fake book and all those pictures that are staged and filtered and beautiful and right you know that's right um 
And, and so it, it, it creates some real complications in, in the 21st century, in the year 2024, because now we don't just have to worry about the people we actually know. We have to worry about the people we virtually know. And I'm going to tell you this. Be careful, because in, like, really short order, within the next year, most of those pictures are all going to be artificially generated anyway. And so the people you think are real aren't even real. And you're looking at something, you're saying, I want that, I want that, I want that, and it's not even real to begin with. I mean, it's faker than fake. But the problem is... We don't know the full story. We only see the current chapter. We don't see the chapters that were passed. We haven't read their entire book. We didn't see the chapter where they made all their private sacrifices. We didn't read the chapter where they endured heartbreaking loss. We didn't read their chapter where they were overcoming insecurities. We didn't read the chapter where day after day they could barely get out of bed because the anxiety and the fear and the depression just crippled them. We didn't see the chapter that said, I fought this addiction for years and years and years, and finally I'm on the other side of it. We didn't see the chapter that says, I have spiritual doubts and I can't get past this. I'm in such a dry season. We didn't read the chapter where all they could do for pages upon pages of that chapter was to cry out to God and ask God to do something. Because here's what we do. We compare our lives to somebody else, and then we start writing the end of our own chapter. Don't we? Oh, this is never going to work out. I will never have what they have. My life is just no good. I've been this way forever. It's going to continue to be that way. I'll never find the right person. I'll never have the marriage that I see out there. My kids are always going to be jacked up. My life is always going to be jacked up. My job is always going to stink. We write the end of our own chapter, but I want to tell you today, there is good news because look, God is not done with you. God is not done with you. God is always working in your life and God is always proving himself faithful in everything that you do if we allow him to do that and so today i want to help us to think about writing the next chapter in our lives and we're going to start in the last chapter of ruth we're going to be here for two weeks actually we're going to close out this series this week and next week in ruth chapter four but but here's the kind of main central idea i want us to really just get in our head today and that's this the decisions you make today will determine the story you tell tomorrow We've talked about this several times in this series. If you want something different, you've got to do something different. If you keep making the same decisions, you're going to end up writing the same story over and over and over again. But the decisions you make today will determine the story <coughs> Excuse me, you tell tomorrow. You can rewrite that chapter with God's help. You may not be happy with the season you're in. You may be wanting something better. But today, we're going to learn what it takes to choose your next chapter. That's right. I said choose your next chapter. So, Father, in this time, in this short time that we have with you today, help us to understand that we don't write the next chapter. It's only with your help that we can move to the next chapter that you have already written in our lives. So often we forget that. So often we forget that you're in control and you're through your providence and your grace and your mercy and your love that we move forward to the people we were designed to be. So help us to clear out all the negative thoughts. Help us to put our pens down and stop writing the ending to our own story so that we can rely on you in this place, God. Make each of us porous like sponges so that we can soak in what you have to say, so soak in what you have to say today. 
And God, use me in any way you see fit for that purpose. Make all these words about you, make all these words from you, and make all these words piercing like arrows to our hearts. And we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And together as a church, we'll all say... Amen. If you're at home, type amen for us. Um, just as a matter of review, because some of you may have not been here for the last couple of weeks, uh, we have been studying the book of Ruth. Remember, uh, just real quick, I'm going to fly over it, go home and read chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Ruth. You'll be all caught up. But just as a flyover, we have a family. We have Elimelech. We have Naomi, two sons. Sick and tired. Sick and tired. I can't even remember the real names now. We've been saying sick and tired so, so often. They left Bethlehem to go to Moab, which God had forbidden. And in short order, but, uh, Elimelech and sick and tired all die, leaving Naomi and her two widowed daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah. Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem. Ruth goes with her. Orpah stays behind. And in that story, we read that it just so happened As they entered Bethlehem, destitute and kind of broken, wondering what was going to happen, just so happened that Ruth was out gleaning in a field that just so happened to be owned by a man of standing named Boaz, who ended up being her guardian redeemer, the one who could marry her and take care of her and give her a legacy in in her life. And we ended last week, remember, with a problem. There was a problem. Because Boaz said, I'll be your guardian redeemer, Ruth, because he loved her and she loved him. And Naomi knew that that's what God wanted in their lives. And she kind of made that happen in her strange, weird ways. We talked about that last week. Um, But there was another guardian redeemer. Remember, the guardian redeemer is the one whose responsibility and right it is to take care of the people in need in the family. So just as an example, if a woman's husband dies, she's a widow, his brother would have the right and responsibility to take care of her in the family, or if he, he was not there, his son, his son's son, his nephews, whoever was the first male in the line of the husband would be the guardian redeemer. Boaz was a guardian redeemer, but he wasn't the top dog guardian redeemer. There was somebody else above him. We left last week with that problem because Boaz said, I want to marry you, Ruth, but I can't because there's somebody else who has the right. And so he's got a problem. We left last week unfinished. Because Boaz doesn't even know where this guy lives. It's not like he's three doors down and he can go knock on the door and say, Hey, Mr. Guardian Redeemer, um, you, would you like to marry Ruth? And if not, because I really love her and I want to marry her. He, he's got a problem. He's got to find him. And then he's got to kind of hash out the deal because he really wants to marry Ruth. He doesn't want this guy to be like, Oh, I'll take Ruth. You're out of the, you're out of the picture. And, and, and listen, when we, <laughs> he could have tried anything. He could have done all kinds of things that may not have honored God. He could have started writing the end of his own chapter. We do that. When we write the end of our own chapter, we try all these things that just don't work. And it only ends, ends up with us being in the exact same place. Or sometimes, maybe even worse. So what did Boaz do? Because he had to find this guy. He had to make a deal. And he had to make sure that the deal favored him because he wanted to marry Ruth. So he had to rely on three things. We're going to talk about three things that Boaz relied on to write his next chapter. And these are the same three things, by the way, that we all need. We all need to rely on if we're going to write a chapter in our lives, if we're going to enter into that next chapter of our life that honors God, that is in accordance with his will, That is what he has planned for us. Three things that we all need. And that is, number one, the providence of God. Number two, a strategic plan. And number three, spirit-filled prayer. We're going to talk about those three things today. The first of those is the providence of God. 
And this is one of the three major themes of the book of Ruth. Remember, there are no, like, miracles in the book of Ruth. There's no parting of the Red Sea, burning bushes, water into wine, nobody walking on water, none of that. Just the providence of God showing through, providence of God, when God uses natural circumstances in your life to bring about his supernatural will. And if you always look around at your life, you'll see that some of those things have probably happened in your life. Providence of God is the first thing we need to rely on when we are writing the next chapter of our life. And Ruth chapter 4 opens up in just this way. Ruth chapter 4 verse 1 says, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate. So he's got a plan. He's like, I don't know where this guardian redeemer is, but I'm going to go to the town gate. And that was significant because the town gate in those days was where all the business was done. You would go to the town gate to hash out your business deals because there was always a group of businessmen and and important people around there to be witnesses to your deals. That was also where, like, the city council was, the the government buildings, the courthouse, right, all the lawyers, all that, that kind of stuff. They were all living by the town gate. So Boaz goes up to the town gate, and he sat down, and they're just, they're, they're just, he sat down there, sorry, Put my comma in the wrong place. Just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Imagine that. Imagine that. Boaz doesn't know what he's going to do. He goes up to the town gate hoping that something's going to happen. And it just so happens that the guy he needs to talk to walks by. He's like, there he is. Hey, hey. In fact, that's what he says. (laughs) He says that. He says, So Boaz, he came along, and and Boaz said to him, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. And so he sat down. He calls him friend. He might not even know this guy. I don't know. He's a relative of his somehow. I don't know. He calls him friend. He calls him friend. And and that's kind of a, you know, when we talk about words that get translated into English in the Bible, this is one where they kind of miss the mark. I have no idea why they actually use the word friend here. Because the words that, are, that, that this translation comes through, I, they're so funny. I love these words. Literally, I'm not making this up. Plony almoni. Plony almoni. Everybody say that. Plony almoni. Plony almoni literally translates to muted name. A name that we don't mention. A name that we don't care about. A name that we don't even recognize in God's word. In other words, the author, Samuel, calls this guy Mr. No Name. Kind of like the, 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 the musical Chicago, Mr. Cellophane. Anybody ever seen that? Where he's just up there, Mr. Cellophane. He's everybody just looks right through him, doesn't even notice he's there. That's this guy, Mr. No Name. Samuel, the author, chooses that moniker, Mr. No Name. And I'm going to tell you why he does that in a little bit. But for now, just know, his name is Mr. No Name. But when does he show up? When does he show up? Was Boaz lucky? Mm, was it a coincidence? I don't know about that he just so happens to show up at just the right time in just the right place to me i call that the providence of god god using natural circumstances in our life to bring about his supernatural will he knew that ruth and boaz were supposed to be destined in god's plan to be together husband and wife there's a plan for them being together and he said look i'm gonna bring this guy by so that boaz can do what he needs to do and and there's just so interesting the providence of god it blows my mind sometimes. And, and I came across this really interesting illustration. You guys got this graphic up there? 
This is the Hebrew and English translation of Hebrew for the words divine providence or what is written in scriptures as the providence of God, divine providence. Now, the English is fine. Hescacha pratis. You can say that. That's kind of fun to say, too. Hescacha pratis. Um, but here's the interesting thing. This is what blows my mind. We read English, right? We read English from left to right or what we would call forward, right? We read it forward. But Hebrew, Hebrew is read from right to left. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but imagine this. Imagine this. The providence of God is like reading Hebrew. It's always best understood when you read it backwards. Does that blow your mind? It blows my mind. Think about all the things you have gone through in your life, where you are today, and every worst thing that's ever happened in your life is all in the past. God has brought you through. And so when we start talking about the providence of God, we had this blinder thing we humans do, and we're like, God, I just wish you would come. God, I just wish you would come. I don't see you. I don't feel you. I don't hear you. I know you say you want to take care of me, but I don't see you. And we forget that he's brought us through everything else up to that point. So if we want to talk about the providence of God, we've got to read it backwards so that when we get into a spot like that, we have hope that he's going to bring it in the forward. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've told you guys over the course of this series, kind of mine and Susie's story, right? How just so happened that all these things fell into place. And I was, you know, really cool on my skates and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we got married, right? Just so happened we got married. That's an amazingly wonderful, beautiful thing. Now, i got to be quite honest with you. When we got married, I had probably not been a regular church attender for 10 years. At least, at least 10 years. It wasn't a thing we did. We were CEOs, right? Christmas, Easter only. We showed up when, you know, all the pretty candles were there, all that kind of stuff. But it was very important to Susie for us to start going to church as a family. And we did. We, we found a church we loved. We were there for about five years. And then through some circumstances, we ended up not being at that church anymore. And so we started looking for a new church. And I was just like, I hate this. Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. New church every Sunday. It was the worst. And we finally did find a church. In fact, it was the church we were at right before we were here. And um, I just remember this one Sunday, talking about the providence of God and how God works. It might have been, I don't know, if it was cold, rainy, wet, cloudy, I don't know. But I was just in one of them moods where, like, we're skipping church today. I'm not going. <laughs> Susie's like, no, we're not. I'm like, She's like, no, we are getting up. You are getting up. We are going to church. You're going to sit there. So, of course, you know, your boy Chris, he walks into church. <laughs> sits down, you know. Wall up. I don't want to be there at all. I don't want to be there at all. I don't want to be there at all. And, and something, the providence of God started pounding me. 
pounding me. And the message that day, I don't even remember what the message was about, but I got to tell you, folks, that I have audibly heard God speak to me only one or two times in my life. And I've told you guys in the past that when I was very young, when I first became a Christian, when I first accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I was convinced that God had called me into the ministry. And then I just blew my life apart, did whatever I wanted for years and years and years. And I was sitting in that place with my arms folded, with my mental wall up, and God said to me, it's time. In that spot, with my arms folded, not wanting to be there. And when you look back at the providence of God and how he works, that Susie begrudgingly forced me to get up out of bed that day and walk through the doors of that church, that the message that God brought that day was something that penetrated my heart so much that I could hear him speaking to me. And listen, I wouldn't be standing in this place today because that message started me serving on the worship team. And then I started leading on the worship team. And then we started a new church and I started preaching on the stage. And then we started another kind of on Sundays. We moved the church and I started preaching more. And then COVID hit and God, I'm like, God, what are you doing? And then we found a new building and we got here. I would not be on this stage giving you this message from God today if it hadn't been for his providence reading it backwards through my life to where he got me today. Listen, I want you to know that providence is always best read backwards. If you're feeling like you don't know what's going to happen, you're feeling uncertain, you're feeling like, what is my future? What is my next chapter? Take a look back at what God has done and be assured that if he has done it then, he will do it again for you in your life. And we look at Ruth chapter 4 and we see a pretty happy picture of people. They're all blessed. They're all nice. They're all good. Ruth and Boaz want to get married. There's love in the air. Little birds flying around, hearts and Cupid and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't like that in all of Ruth's books, right? Ruth chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We got three widows. Three men died. They left, she left her home. She was destitute. We know that because she had to glean in the field, pick up the scraps in the field. But chapter 4 comes. And the providence of God had gotten her to that point. If you're ready for a better chapter in your life, be assured that God is not finished. Where you are right now is not the final chapter. God is still writing your story. So thank him for that. Thank him for that. First thing we need to do is rely on the providence of God and remember backwards so that we can see forwards to the providence of God. The next thing is strategic plans right? Strategic plans. We make plans for lots of things. We make plans to, you know, go to the grocery store and go to the doctor. And some of us make plans to work out, but that's not in my calendar book. Um, some of us, you know, make plans to be at our friend's house. I don't know. We make plans all the time. And I want to tell you, like, whether we know it or not, God is, is, is in your stuff, right? God is all up in your business. Whether you believe he is or not, there is not one thing we can do that God is not in on if we call ourselves followers of Jesus. He's all up in there. Everything we do from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed when you're surfing Facebook, remember, he's with you, so be careful what you're looking at, you know, right? That's right. When, when you're watching TV, you know, by the way, Honey Boo Boo starts next week. Can I get an amen? Oh, come on. I'm going to come in next week and I'm going to recap the whole entire show for you guys. 
That's the whole sermon right there. That's the whole sermon. In fact, I might just play it on the back. You know, I don't know. I will not do that, I promise you. I'm a little excited about that. It does bring me some joy. It does bring me some joy, but God, God is in there. God's watching Honey Boo Boo with me, believe it or not. I mean, yes, I don't know whether he likes it. I don't know whether he likes it, but he's there watching it, right? He's watching it. So why not allow God to be part of your plans? Boaz has got a plan. Boaz has got a plan. He's going to the city gate, and then we didn't read this, but you can go home and read it in Ruth chapter 4. He calls 10 business leaders around so that he has some witnesses. Mr. No Name sitting next to him at the city gate. And he says to Mr. No Name, hey, Mr. No Name, I got a deal for you. One of your relatives, you probably don't even know the guy, a guy named Elimelech. He died, left a widow, Naomi. She's got a widow, daughter-in-law named Ruth. Um, he's got some land. He's got some land. And you're the guy who's in line to redeem his land if you so choose to do it. It's a big property. It's a big spread. And now it all starts out okay, right? Although we wouldn't really understand why Boaz is trying to entice this guy to take the land because Boaz wants to be the guy, right? He's like, I got this land. You're the guy. You want in? But he says, you can't sleep on it. You can't wait. You can't go home and talk to your wife. You got to decide right now. He says, in fact, it says this. It says, if you will redeem it, do so. Now, that is an imperative verb. That means do it now. Don't go wait. Don't phone a friend. Don't call a hotline. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. And so Mr. No Name's like, I'll redeem it. Why wouldn't I? Pennies on the deal. I get a good deal with property. Done deal. Let's sign the papers. And Boaz is like, but wait, there's more. Hold on there. There's one more thing. And now this is where Boaz's plan really kicks into action because he's already got him on the hook. He's like, free land, pennies on the dollar. You know, you get, you get that. But then he says this. On the day you buy the land from Naomi, <laughs> you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Now, that's a real fancy way of saying that you will get the property, you will get a new wife, but you got to keep that property in the family of Ruth until one of her sons is old enough to take over the land, and then it ain't yours no more. So you can imagine what Mr. No Name's thinking. He's like, wait a minute, I can have the land, but I got to get married, I got to have some kids, and then at the end of all that, I can't even keep the land. And he pumps the brakes. He's like, hold up, swipe left, nope, not me, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, and he starts backpedaling. Land comes with a couple of widows, Moabite women, mother-in-law, they're both broke, you got to provide for them, got to give Ruth a son, and the land I'm buying, I can't even keep. I can imagine Mr. No Name saying to himself, what kind of deal is this for me? And so he changes his mind. Verse 6, it says, at this the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own Estate. Sound familiar how often we make decisions based on us and not thinking about the big picture? He says, you redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. See, Mr. No Name thought his chapter was titled, A Bad Investment. But Boaz called his chapter, A Legacy Opportunity. Boaz saw his plan coming into fruition and playing out so that Boaz can give a legacy to Ruth and Ruth's family. And when we start asking why Samuel, the author of this book, might have called him Mr. No Name, I think it's because, this is not written anywhere, this is just my opinion, 
I think it's because Mr. No Name was selfish. Mr. No Name was concerned more with his reputation and his money than he was about his ministry, than he was about God's work, than he was about God's plan. But he didn't have a plan. His only plan was CYA, cover my own stuff, right? That's what Mr. No Name's plan was. And if you look through Ruth, most people didn't have a plan. Naomi's husband, Elinelech, he didn't have a plan. He's like, oh, I'll just move over to, uh, to Moab and everything will be good. Dead. Sick and tired, they didn't have a plan. Let's marry Moabite women. God told us not to do that. No plan. Dead. No plan. Mr. No Name, he couldn't see past today. He had no plan because if he had had a plan, we're going to see in a little bit, there might have been some really cool stuff that happened to that. And I want us to know this. We might think that God, so just put it in God's hands, just put it in God, let go and let God. That's all a great thing. But look, the, one of the most spiritual things you can do is to make a plan. One of the most spiritual things you can do is to plan out your steps so that God can ordain them and be involved in them. In Proverbs, we read that good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. When we work with God to plan out our steps, we rely on his providence. We have that strategic plan in place. He says, I'm going to reward you for that. I'm going to bring about your plan because you're relying on me. And that's an amazing thing. He blesses us, he provides for us, and he makes a way. So, I got to ask, what's your plan? What's your plan? What, what's that thing that you're thinking about right now that you're like, man, I wish this chapter would turn this page and I could get on to the next thing? What's your plan? Your, is your marriage kind of like, not where it should be, struggling, and you've been that way for a while, and you're kind of like, oh, well, we don't talk very much. We don't even eat dinner in the same room, and he watches sports all day long, and I watch Honey Boo Boo in the other room. <laughs> and you just keep going and going and going. It ain't going to get any better. What's your plan? Counseling? Peer counseling? Start hanging out with people that you can rely on? Maybe you're struggling financially, and you're wondering where your, you know, your future is going to be because right now you can't even pay attention. What's your plan? What's the plan? Maybe you want to get healthy, a little bit better in shape, all that kind of stuff. What's your plan? Eat? What's your plan? Maybe your friends are always stoned and broke and far from God. You need a new plan. Because the decisions you make today Always determine the story you will tell tomorrow. And Boaz worked his plan. He buys the land. He becomes the kinsman redeemer. Verse 10, we read this. This is kind of the end of the, the plan coming to fruition. He says, I also have acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife. That was the plan all along. The plan wasn't to swindle Mr. No Name. The plan wasn't to, you know, do all this kind of stuff. The plan was that he would marry Ruth because they loved each other. <clears throat> in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among the family or from his hometown. Today, you are my witnesses. He's not concerned with his plan. He's not like, oh, I got some land. I'm going to go put some crops on there. I got crops out there. I'm going to put some more crops over here. He's like, all I want to do is take care of Ruth so that her family has a legacy to live on. Isn't that amazing? Not about him at all. Not about him. What did he do? He joined his chapter to Ruth's chapter 
and ended up having God's chapter. It's an amazing thing. God is entering this story of Ruth and Boaz and bringing out something that's better than it ever could have been if they stayed separate. He will do the same thing in your life. I can guarantee it. He depended on the providence of God and he planted his next, he planned his next chapter. And the final thing we have to do, and this is kind of like the glue that holds it all together, right? Is we have to pepper that with faith-filled prayers all the time, all the time. It's not just like, I want to do this, I'm going to pray about it, and then I'm going to let it go, and whatever happens, happens, right? Because prayer's all over the book of Ruth. They pray all over the place. We got the, let, let me see this. Can, you, can we see this, this one up here? Look, look. Naomi says, may the Lord give you a husband. Ruth, may the Lord deal with me if I leave you. Boaz, may the Lord be with you. His workers say, may the Lord bless you. Boaz says, may the Lord repay you and bless you. Ruth, may I continue to find favor with God, that is. Naomi, bless the man who blesses you. Boaz says, may the Lord bless you. There was prayers all over the place. Little, tiny, continuous prayers over and over and over again. And this is kind of the mistake we make, right? Because we're like, well, I pray in the morning. I'm good. How long should I pray? An hour? See, I can't do that. I could not pray for an hour. But I do pray a lot throughout the day. I may not pray for long periods of time, but there's never a long period of time between prayers. And when we're talking about a strategic plan, when we're talking about looking backwards to look forward to the providence of God, prayer is the key. We've always got to be in, in, in prayer with God in everything we do. When we take this little step, we pray, we pray to God. We thank him for what he's already done. We look forward to his blessings. We take the next step, we pray. We take the next step, we pray. We keep praying, we keep praying. We pepper that with prayers. They were praying all over the place in the book of Ruth, and the same thing happened happens to us that happened to Boaz and Ruth when their plan kind of came to, to be at their new chapter. When we put prayer into effect with our strategic planning and the providence of God, it kind of ties it all together. And we even see that right after this deal. Everybody gets in on the action. Verse 11 says, the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. Here's their prayer. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Now that's a prayer. They want Ruth. This Moabite woman who knew nothing about the God of Israel, who turned from her sin in Moab and turned towards the God of Bethlehem to be like Leah and Rachel, the women from whom the nation of Israel descended, and to make her famous in Bethlehem. Isn't it amazing what God can do in a life? Isn't it? A Moabite woman to be famous in Bethlehem. And it just so happens, it just so happens, if we think really long and hard, hopefully you don't have to think really long and hard, we know somebody else who was pretty famous in Bethlehem. And we know him because of God's providence and God's plan. And the prayers of all the saints who came before us. And we can look backwards and see that whole story play out. Providence of God, remember, it's like Hebrew, it's best understood backwards. 
We, we, we see Jesus gave his life on the cross. God raised him from the dead for anyone. That's kind of like, you know, the end of the story. But there was stuff that happened before that. Before that, Jesus prayed. Before that, Jesus was in his ministry. Before that, Jesus was doing all this kind of stuff. Jesus was fulfilling God's plan in all of his story. If we look backwards on that story of Jesus, we will see time and time and time again how God's plan, God's providence, God's way through prayer brought Jesus to the place where he became the savior of the world. It started all the way back when Jesus was born, born of a virgin, Virgin Mary, through the providence of God. That could only happen through God. There is no human interaction in the world that could make that happen. That is 100% a God thing, but it didn't start there. Because if we look backwards from that point even, Mary gave birth to Jesus. He's called the Messiah. Mary was engaged to a guy named Joseph, who was the father of a guy named Jacob. I'm sorry, whose father was a guy named Jacob. Now, hold tight, put your seatbelts on, because I want to show you what God can do with his providence, with a good plan and careful prayer, because Jacob's father was a guy named Mathen, whose father was a guy named Eleazar, whose father was a guy named Iliad, all through God's providence, who was a father named Achim, who had a father named Zadok, who had a father named Azor, I can barely read this, who had a father named Eliakim, who had a father named Abiud, who had a father named Zerubbabel, who had a father named... Shealtiel, who had a father named, uh, what does that say? Jehoiakim, who had a father named Josiah, who had a father named Amon, who had a father named Manasseh, who Hezekiah, and then Ahaz, and then Jotham, and then Uzziah, I'm almost done, and then Jehoram, and then Jehoshaphat, and then Asa, and then Abijah, and then Rehoboam, and then Solomon, and then David, and then Jesse, and Jesse's father was a kid named Obed, who was born from Boaz and Ruth. God's providence in every generation because he knew even before that that his law wasn't sufficient to save us and that the only thing that could was this part of himself, Jesus, born in the flesh so that he could know what we go through. He could know our temptations and our hurts and our, and, our, and our anxieties and all that kind of stuff. He knew that when he was working in Boaz and Ruth's story. He knew that when he was working in every one of those stories that we just read. In God's providence, through God's plans, and through the prayers of the saints for a Savior, because the land of Israel had been praying for a Messiah for centuries and centuries and centuries. Through all that, God offered salvation. Not because we deserved it. Listen to what it says in First Timothy, Second Timothy. It says, God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time. The beginning of time. God's providence played out in all those lives to bring about a means of salvation for you and me. Isn't that amazing? Yes? <laughs> Think about your next chapter. And when you start doubting what God can do, think about what he already did. When you start doubting, does God have something good for me? He does. When you start doubting, God, is this all there is? It's not. He's not finished yet. 
He is good. In fact, he is, that's the first thing we learn about God, right? God is great. God is good. And he is really good at being good. He always is. Think about your next chapter. With God's providence and strategic planning that we bring him in on and faith-filled prayer, God will write your next chapter. No matter where you are, no matter how bleak it seems, turn the page. This chapter is over. Allow him to start writing your next chapter. And listen, um, you know me. I don't, I don't ever stop. I don't ever end. I don't ever quit until I make sure everybody in this place has, has an opportunity to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because if we're going to talk about the next chapter, we got two choices. We have the next chapter that we want to write, or we have the next chapter that God already has planned for us. And the only way to realize the chapter that God has planned for us is to make Jesus the Lord of your life. That means that this thing that, that holds us down, our condition of sin, is gone. He paid the price. He took all the sin of the world upon him in one act, nailed it to a cross, was buried in a tomb and rose three days later, freeing all of us. That's where it starts. And so if you have never, ever asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, we're all going to have that opportunity today. We're all going to just um, together, if you feel called in that place, then with all heads bowed, with all eyes closed, we will just pray this prayer together. Father God, Jesus, I believe you are the Lord and Savior of the world. And Jesus, I believe you died on a cross as the payment for my sin. And Jesus, I believe that you rose on the third day, defeating my spiritual death. And Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender. I give it all to you. Thank you, Jesus. And so, Father, help us not to be so stubborn and hard-headed as humans. Help us to, us to realize that, that you have a new chapter for us, that we shouldn't be stuck thinking that we've got to write the ending to our story, which you've already written. Help us to step into that. Help us to look backwards on your providence. Help us to look backwards on your faithfulness so that we can look forwards to everything that you're going to do in our lives, God. Help us to bring you into all the plans that we have in this world. And then, Father, finally, help us to just rely on you with faith-filled prayers. And God, finally, we just ask that you keep everybody here healthy and safe until we meet again. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And together as a church, we'll all say, amen. There is... Um